It's going good, Taylor. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, we got Jeremy running the board in there, and um, it's uh, October twenty fifth. Big football game this week, I think. It's a big game. Uh, I heard something about Florida, Georgia. Uh, wow, you busted my eardrum. Uh, <laughs> that thing's pretty loud over there. That other mic. Um, Sorry, folks. If you had their radio up, uh, Taylor's moving the mic around a little bit. But we're Mine live. wasn't on. That lets us know <laughs> that we're live, right? Yeah, my and, mic wasn't uh, on. Nothing like a, a live program. You know, Taylor, I know you uh, – well, first of all, if you're just tuning into SWAT radio, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. And it spawned out of a Bible study called SWAT. And uh, it's expository for men, men's discipleship study and uh, – we're teaching through the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts uh, 17 today, finishing up Acts 17 today and tomorrow. And uh, thank you for you and your dad taking last Friday. I appreciate that. Uh, Anthony is a longtime friend as well. And uh, y'all did a good job. I appreciate you doing that while I was out of town. But during the first segment of the program, we usually talk about things going on in the world. And I briefly mentioned it yesterday. Um, but I haven't talked to you about it, I don't think. The first time in Britain's history, two things. One, a non-professing Christian, not mm. that they were Christian, but a, a non-professing Christian is a prime minister. Mm. And the second thing is it's the first time that the prime minister had more money than Buckingham Palace. Wow. I didn't know either of those things. I just knew that. Um, and you're a guy who looks at the world events, I think. You yeah. know, you're, you're on those pretty good. Did yeah, you did, not know that? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I did not know those two things in particular. I did. There were some concerning things about the new prime minister that I had seen that he'd said that's kind of World Economic Forum, you know, compatible. <laughs> um, so that was concerning. And then the whole situation on how the last prime minister was only in for, you know, a couple weeks before he got the boot. And then every single person who was going to run dropped out uh, to allow the new prime minister to take uh, take the seat without any opposition. And then he said he's not going to uh, have any election or anything like that. He was not voted in. So usually you, you call a quick election to kind of solidify your support, but he, he's electing not to do that. So. Well, he is a product of the elite over there. Mm. I mean, if and that's, that's a little scary. Mm. I mean, he went to one of the most elite and oldest – uh, public schools, but public is not what it means here. Public yeah. over there is very different. It actually means private school over mm-hmm. there. And uh, he went to, it's called the Winchester School, and it was one of the most expensive private schools uh, in England. And then he went to Oxford, small school, little mm-hmm. small school over on the other side of the ocean. He graduated from there, then went to Stanford out in Palo Alto where he got his MBA 
And, um, I mean, he represents every bit of elite that you see. In fact, he served as kind of the, uh, in the, in the government as kind of like a, uh, they called it a supercharged secretary of treasury over there for Mm. the government. And, um, but it's just, uh, fascinating. He's Hindu. So that's really kind of interesting that England would have a Hindu prime minister. Yeah, and I think it uh, considering their relationship with India and mm-hmm. you know and and the past there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is pretty interesting. I I think it's also a product of, you know, the hollowing out of the churches in that country and uh you know, in Europe in general. Uh not to say that there's no Christians there, but uh that that's not something that's really concerning to them at all. But then yeah, the fact that uh you know India and Britain have had a contentious relationship, uh, you know, as far as how people see it historically, is uh, is pretty interesting as well. Yeah, well, and one of the big problems, I think the prime minister over there resigned over the big financial meltdown, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a little bit of a financial thing going on in this country, too. And as believers, a lot of times, um, we tend to just be okay with everything until it affects us personally. <laughs> and we're oblivious. You know, you go look at the movie theaters. People are going to the movies like they always have. It's not like people are pinching pennies. Mm-hmm. Everybody's it, – it. it's very similar to me in the way I read the Bible in that how people were in the time of Noah. Mm. For 120 years, Noah preached. And people just blew him off. And people have been sounding the alarm for the last few years. Hey, we're not going to be able to continue. We're borrowing trillions of dollars, not just us, other governments too. And we see what's happening. But one of the things that uh, Al Mohler said is he couldn't really imagine going back to Queen Elizabeth and explaining how someone with a background in the colonies would be one of the prime ministers. Mm. It It would be really unheard of but now this is where we are and uh well and that's kind of one of the reasons for the uh, revolutionary war in fact like they didn't want to give representation because of how great you know america population wise could have expanded and controlled the interests of the uk uh, so you know it's pretty interesting well and they put a financial that. guy in there but the the point for us is that we need to recognize that the power of the financial markets to affect government are strong. They're mm-hmm. great. I don't know if you remember, I don't know how young you were when George Bush, the, the first George Bush was president. Were you were you able to remember that at all? Mm, no, nah, not really. Not yeah. really. Yeah. I remember it looked like he was going to be a shoe-in for a second term mm-hmm. until he said, I won't raise taxes, he but he taxes. did. Mm-hmm. And it cost him the election. Yep. Just that alone, uh, that the economy has a tremendous impact on people. And I think that's one of the things that's giving the Democratic Party a lot of problems now. They're focused on social uh, progression, uh, social deviation, social perversion, whatever you want to call it. And instead of really where people are feeling the economy in the grocery store at the gas pump in those places. But as believers, you know, I'm always encouraged by the way God took care of his people in the old Testament and the people who were the remnant. He just seemed to take care of as they looked to him and cared for him. Not that bad things can't happen to you if you're a believer, 
but um you know it, it was uh it it was it was God's provision that got those people through. And that always encourages me. I, I, we don't have to fear if we're God's people, we can trust in his sovereignty. We can trust in his provision. But one other thing, uh, during this segment, you know, Hitler is not Hitler. I'm sorry. Um, Putin, I, I didn't mean to, to, uh, to uh, substitute that, but Putin is, uh, fighting in Ukraine and it's moving into the winter time. And it's, their their winners are brutal. All you got to do is look through back through history. That's why Hitler came to my mind. That uh, the 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 forces of winter themselves are some of the most devastating forces against any military that's involved in a conflict. And uh, I mean, have you ever tried to be in freezing weather, loading ammunition, or moving? You you're just almost paralyzed, and it's. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because this war is going to continue over there. It's not going away anytime soon. And um, we just need to continue to pray because there's still missionaries over in Ukraine. I know there's there's Western missionaries that are over there, and it's uh, it's really they're, – they're over there trying to share the gospel with people, and they're in a war zone pretty much because they're dropping bombs over and around Kiev and – Mm-hmm. places like that but winter's coming and uh it's going to be really tough for the people who are well it's going to be tough for everybody but really tough for the people who aren't involved in the war because guess where the supplies are going to go first mm, yeah they're going to go to those people that are fighting so remember to pray for our missionaries that are over there who are trying to share the gospel because they're in a different kind of war they're in a spiritual war to give uh hope to the men and women uh, who are fighting, yeah. And so. I was not only that, you know, they're they're predicting difficult winters throughout all of Europe. You know, in Germany, I don't know if you've seen that, just because of where they got their oil from. Like people, they're talking about people potentially freezing to death uh, around Europe. So we should be praying for, you know, not just those in the war zone, obviously, but also those that might be affected by the, you know, third order or fourth order effects. Right? It's <laughs> it's uh, not a good situation. War, you know. We always pray for peace, and uh, it's a, it's going to affect a lot more people than I think we even realize. Well, one of the other things that just recently came out about Ukraine that I didn't know is they're kind of like ground zero for surrogacy for babies. Really? Yes. Uh, before Russia invaded back in February, Ukraine was a major provider of surrogacy. It's one of the few countries that allows it for foreign people. In other words, if you're wanting a baby and you want to find a surrogate in Ukraine, you can just pay them to do it and they'll do it for you over there. Hmm. Uh, not a lot of places in other countries will allow that. Um, but, and that's still going on. And, um, you know, uh, and, and Al Mohler said this about it. He was talking about it this morning. He said that, um, we don't think about this very often, but creation is where we start the Christian worldview. We start in creation and we have the creation not only of cosmos, but men and women. Human beings made in the image of God, male and female, he created them, and then comes the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Now, what we're seeing in our country now is homosexual, lesbian couples can pay a surrogate to have a child for them because they can't do it by themselves. Yeah. And we're trying to get beyond God's plan and design. And we just need to pray that uh, 
Man, I'm praying for Jesus to come back. So, uh, hopefully soon. Amen. You're listening to SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you'd like to contact SWAT Radio, the toll-free number is 1-844-777-7928. That's 844-777-7928 or 844-777-SWAT. You can also listen to this program through the WTRJ The Truth app from the App Store or over the Internet by accessing www.swatradio.com. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. We're so grateful for having people like Tom Neal Truck Company sponsoring SWAT Radio. Tom Neal Truck Company is located at 417 Edgewood Avenue South in Jacksonville, Florida. Tom Neal is a full-service franchise truck dealer for Freightliner, Western Star, Volvo, Isuzu, and Sprinter vans offering new and used truck sales, service, parts, and truck rental, and leasing to the North Florida and South Georgia truck market. More information on Tom Neal Truck Company is located at www.tomneal.com. That's www.tomnehl.com. Welcome back to SWAT Radio. SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors, Advancing Truth. Um, With that in mind, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34 this week. We did, as we usually do in the first section, uh, or excuse me, segment, uh, talked a little bit about what was going on in the world. A lot of stuff to be concerned about. Um, A lot of stuff happening. You know, we we tend to forget about the war in the Ukraine because mm -hmm. it's just not affecting us at least in a very direct way right away. But think about some of these people that are, are surrogates, mm-hmm. you know, are wanting surrogate moms. Uh, they've restarted that effort now over there. So it must have been a fairly profitable business for them. And that's what it is, a business. Uh, and there's a lot of ethical things. We were talking in the break about some of the ethical considerations for that. But um, anyway, um, let's let's go to uh, Acts 17. We're... In 22 through 34, we gave a little bit of an overview yesterday and looking at Paul in Athens, he's there by himself. Silas and Timothy went back to Thessalonica and to Berea. This is the second missionary journey. The first missionary journey was primarily concerned uh, with suffering for Paul. If you were to give it a theme, it was suffering. Mm -hmm. Paul, everywhere he went, remember he got stoned in Lystra, and uh, he got persecuted in several cities. But this is the second one. And on this journey, I think it's a time of growth. We see Paul um, going to these places, having tremendous impact uh, long term. The Thessalonian church was a great church. He wrote two letters to it, and we see the impact. The Philippian church was a great church, and he wrote that letter that's given us some great encouragement and theology there and he's in athens now why because a group of thugs got hired by the, some of the jewish 
leaders in Thessalonica to run them out of Thessalonica first, then Berea. And so they ended up taking Paul to Athens, leaving him there. And uh, we talked about his uh, boldness in Thessalonica, he and Silas in Berea, and having an impact. They were referred to as men who turned the world upside down in Acts 17.6. And we talked about the kind of men that turn the world upside down are men that live boldly, uh, men that uh, speak biblically, men that speak inclusively. They don't stiff arm anybody with the gospel. It's open to all people, all genders, all uh, ethnic backgrounds, all socioeconomic groups. Um, It was inclusive, and they suffered trustingly. You know, Paul was kicked out of one town. He went to another, went right back into the synagogue. He, He goes to Athens, and he looks, and he's provoked, and we saw also that he saw with divine eyes. He saw the city not with eyes of, wow, being taken in by all the sights of all the great, you know, um, architecture that was there uh, that was built to demons, basically. Mm-hmm. But he saw it for what it was. It was idols, temples to demons. And he was so provoked that he went into the synagogue, he went into the marketplace, and even went uh, to the Areopagus. They drug him to the Areopagus, and he conversed with them, debated with them about Jesus in the resurrection. And we saw finally um, in through verses 21 that he didn't just see with divine eyes. He also declared, uh, or he uh, not declared, he, um, he, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm blank here. Um, he, he saw with divine eyes. Oh, he engaged. That's what it was. He engaged uh, the culture with the divine message. And that's what he engaged. And the key word there is engage. Too many Christians are passive. They sit back waiting for somebody to go, hey, will you tell me about Jesus? Well, how often has that <laughs> happened to you in your life, Taylor? Yeah, I don't think it has. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I can uh, tell you that in my life, I've only had something similar to that happen a couple of times. Yeah. And I'm almost, I'm 61. And so we have to engage. That's what Paul did. He engaged the culture. And as he engaged the culture, he was sharing the gospel with them. And it was epics, or I'm sorry, Epicureans and Stoics. And Epicurean people were people who were basically deists. They they didn't, or really they were atheists. They didn't believe that God was involved in their world. They thought that the gods were just detached from them. And so they pretty much lived a life of pleasure. You know, um, when you hear about something being Epicurean, it's just all pleasure-motivated uh, we got to get go for the gusto now, have it your way now kind of a thing. And the Stoics were different. They were more pantheists. They believed God was in everything, and they were um, they believed that you just had to endure. So th- that was the two prevailing philosophies there in Athens. Remember, Athens itself was kind of like the center of the religious universe uh, at that time as well as the center of the intelligentsia universe. And that's why Rome, when it conquered Athens, they didn't destroy it. They preserved the religious structures. They also preserved the institutions. Guys like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle were based there, and they they trained a lot of the emperors and the people that would serve the emperor. And so 
these people that were there uh, who were the Epicureans and the Stoics heard Paul teach about the resurrection. They said, hey, this is strange and new teaching because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they took him to the Areopagus, which was a place that kind of protector of the gods from blasphemy there. That's what they did. And so they took Paul there. And as Paul went, they they basically asked him to explain himself. And verses 22 through 34 is that explanation and, and what God did with it. I mean, we see some people actually converted to following Jesus Christ there. And yesterday we looked at this idea of the first thing God calls us to do, or at least we see him calling Paul to do here, is to discern the bridges with his audience. And he said, men of Athens, I, I see that you are uh, perceived that you are very religious. The word perceived there means sustained attention. And so Paul was looking at at their world. He was trying to uh, observe and interpret the things that were going on in their world. Far too often as Christians, what we do is we just blow by people. Hmm. We We don't observe. We don't have a sustained attention to what's going on in somebody's life. And I'll give you a perfect example. Think about it when we go to a restaurant. Our main concern is eating the food and telling people, you know, either that's good, that's not good, or what's going on in my life. You know, we might talk to the people that are on the table with us, but what about the server? What about the guy that busts the table? Do we ever engage any of those people? Do we ever even see what's going on in their life? That's a great opportunity to ask somebody, hey, Um, You know, one of the things I like to do is pray over my meal and thank God for providing, but I also like to pray for my server. How can I pray for you today? You know, it's a great way to uh, engage with somebody out in the world in a setting where you normally are. Or if you're out there, let's say you're at Publix or Aldi or whatever grocery store you go to, and you notice the cashier is having a bad day. Hey, he looks like it's having a tough day. Can I pray for you in any way? Is there anything specific I can pray for? They may tell you to buzz off, but more than likely they're going to be taken back. Wow, somebody cares. Paul wanted to communicate, hey, I see that you guys are religious. And the word there that he it, that translates religious, really it, it means uh, superstitious fear of demons or gods or the unknown. And so what Paul was saying is, hey, I, I've noticed the objects of your worship, and I see that you're a religious people, and I even noticed that you have uh, an altar, not a temple, but an altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you about this God. And so Paul discerns the bridges, and he starts what we call the narrative evangelism process. He first of all starts with their story. And I want you to picture, if you're out there in the radio audience or listening by the podcast, I want you to uh, to picture um, five circles. And the first circle is a small circle, and in that circle is their story. Their story is the story of the listener, the story of the audience. You're discerning what is their story, what felt need are they struggling with. Well, with the men of the Areopagus, what they're struggling with or the men of Athens is their felt need is they want peace with their creator. 
They don't want to anger the gods because in the heart of every man, God has placed eternity. So their story is the beginning place. Then the next circle, if you go uh, horizontally from their story to another little circle that's just a little bit bigger, it's our story. And when we share our story to connect with their story, we're looking for a bridge, not a barrier. In other words, Taylor, if you're sharing a felt need with me and I say, I don't struggle with that, what happens to you? Immediately a barrier goes up. You go, I can't talk to this guy. He has no clue what I'm feeling or what Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about. So we want to bridge the gap between their story and our story and talk about creational design. Hey, you know, I can remember a time that I, I, I really wondered about uh, being angry, God being angry with me or whatever, and I realized that God wants a relationship with me. I didn't know that until somebody shared it with me in this book called the Bible. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people say they don't believe in the Bible. What don't you believe about it? And you engage, now you're engaged in a conversation trying to build bridges there. And and you move from our story to a Jesus story. And that that story is uh is is bigger, a bigger circle. And in that Jesus deals with stories and our needs better than we can. So he has interacts with lots of people throughout that. And then you move from a Jesus story to the Jesus story, which is the biggest circle. You put the most emphasis on the fact that he died on the cross for you and uh, to pay the penalty for our sins was resurrected and now lives and reigns as king and wants us in relationship. And then the last circle is an invitation to respond. But that is narrative evangelism. And the the it starts with the listener story. That's what Paul deals with. That's what we dealt with yesterday. And when we come back, we're going to start seeing how Paul declared to them the bigness and the truth about our God. That's the second principle we're dealing with in this text. Discerning bridges and declaring the bigness and the truth about our God, Yahweh, when we come back. All right, so stick with us. We will be back with more after the news. You are listening to Squat Radio. Stay tuned. Williams with Chain Breaker. If you are just joining us, we are looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34 this week. And right before the news break, we were talking, or Doug was talking about um, narrative evangelism, talking about um, bridges, not barriers, talking about the different circles um, that we encounter along that path. Uh, Their story, our story, a Jesus story, the Jesus story, and an invitation to respond. 
Yeah, it, you know, I, I want to go back to the felt needs and creational needs. Usually when we're talking with uh, people uh, about sharing the gospel and we're um, going, we, we start with their story. I, I want to expand a little bit about their story, the felt need. We start where the listeners are living. That's what Paul did. He was giving attention to that. And a lot of times what we do today is we invite them to come to our world. Mm. Instead of starting in their world, we uh, are coming even in the world of the Bible. We go into their world, and it doesn't matter, Taylor, what culture you're in, what generation you're, you're from. We all struggle with similar felt needs. Um, and, you know, felt needs are kind of the, the pathways to our soul. I mean, we, we see loneliness in people. We, you know, we see uh, people that struggle with different issues. And, um, when we think about those things, uh, we, we need to, uh, look for that felt need, be aware of it. Like Paul was, was, uh, had this sustained attention he perceived it it says he observed in verse 23 and um and so he observed their needs but then he interacts with the creational design and and you know felt needs always correspond to a uh to a deeper set of creational needs or design i'm sorry that god puts inside of us and so sometimes the, the felt need itself is just a symptom of the creational need. Uh, or sometimes it's an abuse of one of those needs that we have. Uh, the key is that God placed inside all of us this um, desire for an eternal relationship with a being. It's him. Mm-hmm. We don't recognize it as that a lot of times. But he put that in our DNA. <clears throat> for instance, the felt need of loneliness corresponds with the creational design by God of intimacy, right? Mm. He designed us to be intimate people. Mm-hmm. And so when we try to have a false intimacy, at, uh, like pornography, for instance, it always leads to emptiness mm. and loneliness. Uh, and so as we em- engage their felt need and we bring in our story we may not struggle with exactly the same felt need, but I promise you we have struggled along that that, that uh, prism somewhere. You know what I mean? Somewhere you and I both have struggled with intimacy with, with somebody. Mm-hmm. And so we can understand that felt need of loneliness. And is there a story in the Bible, for instance, of a Jesus story where he deals with loneliness? Can you think of any? Uh, well, yeah, when he was on the cross and he was alone yeah he he himself was but what about where he engaged people uh with stories about how god meets us in our loneliness is there stories in the bible you can think of mm, like the prodigal son yeah, absolutely yeah. it says he was lonely nobody wanted to help him and what happened before that he was the talk of the town because he mm-hmm. had all this money and and people used him mm-hmm. and maybe our listener has been used and they feel lonely and dejected like he did. 
And what does that story communicate about the love of the father? What did the father do? He was looking for the son to return. And he ran to him when he was And he ran when he was saw him coming back. Mm-hmm. And and so that story, we can tell them that story to give encouragement. So it's their story of loneliness. Our story of how God helped us with the need of intimacy in our own life and a Jesus story where he restores that intimacy between a father and a son. And then we bridge into the Jesus story because God created you and me for that intimate relationship. And we can go into the gospel there. And so then you invite them to respond. I find a lot of people, Taylor will maybe go through the gospel and then they never ask people to do anything. Mm. They just share it. Does that make sense? Okay, I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> you always invite people to respond. Uh, where you go, well, yeah, but they said they didn't care. Well, you can ask them, hey, do you have a Bible? Um, yeah. Do you understand it? Have you read it? Uh, because, quite frankly, some people have a Bible that they were given 40 years ago, and it's in King James English. Nothing wrong with that. But when they read it, it's hard for them to understand. Uh, because it's written in 1611. Well, I think we've, you know, our language could mean different things. For instance, um, let's just say that if we were shooting baskets back in the 1800s, it would mean very some, something very different than shooting baskets today, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we have to be able to read and understand it. And again, there's no, I'll, listen, I grew up memorizing the King James but I always ask people, do you have a Bible you can understand? Do you read that? If you don't, I'd love to give you one. So you're inviting them to respond. If they don't want to follow Jesus, they, they said, no, I'm not ready, then ask them to read. Can I encourage you to read this? Uh, there's a, a letter in here. Uh, it's it's called a book. This, the Bible is really a, a library of a bunch of books. But this one called John, and I invite them to read that. So you just basically... Uh, always want to have a call to some type of action and transferring allegiance from themselves to Jesus. And we have to be clear about it, and we want to be slow about it. Um, If they're not ready to follow, then just invite them to read, like I said. But um, it's it's really, that's the narrative form of evangelism. And I, I see Paul doing that because, what we're going to see in verses 24 through 31 is Paul goes through the gospel message starting with creation and ending up with judgment. He goes from Genesis to Revelation. He never mentions the Torah, although he mentions what's in the Torah. He never gives an address. You know, mm-hmm. Romans 6.23 says pagans don't care. They don't even know that has no meaning to them. But we could say, you know, there is an ancient book of truth that says that all people have lived in rebellion to the creator of the universe. Now, that's Romans 6.23, without saying Romans 6.23. And, the, you know, this ancient book also says that when we live in rebellion to the creator of the universe, that we earn death and not just physical death on earth, but an eternal separation from this creator uh, because there's something more than life beyond the planet. But 
this ancient book always says there was a way for us to have all the things that we've earned to be basically pardoned and because our guilt was assigned to another person named Jesus. Now, I just gave him Rome 623, uh, and, and I, I didn't give him the cross yet. But, but you see how, and Paul does that in 22, or 24 through 31. So I'm going to have you read, Taylor, um, verses 24 through 31 of Acts 17. And in this section, we see Paul declaring the bigness and the truth about our God, Yahweh. And we're going to look at each one of these verses as you go through it to what he says about Yahweh. Okay. All right. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You can go ahead and read 32 through 34. So. All right. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them also was Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, in this passage, Paul starts with God. A lot of our modern evangelism starts with us. Mm -hmm. It's human-centered rather than God-centered. And Paul doesn't start. Listen, he starts with creation. And the thing is, we cannot preach the the gospel of Jesus without the doctrine of God. We can't preach the cross without creation because it, st- it starts with God. And there's some dangers when we uh, start with man. Uh, and there's a, ve- there's a big difference between God-centered versus man-centered. In a man-centered approach, the point of, of contact with God uh, non-Christians, people or pagans, is love. God loves you. And you see that all over. Go look at the signs. Therefore, God's authority is secondary. But when you have a God-centered approach, the point of contact is creation, which is what Paul uses here. He's not saying God loves you. Did you see him say that? Mm-hmm. He's not saying that. God has authority over your destiny. That's where Paul starts. And today... We need more billboards that say, hey, God created you. He created this world. And, and we need to keep that in mind as we're sharing the gospel with people. 
In the the man-centered approach, love is God's chief attribute. In a a God-centered approach, holiness and love are equally important attributes of God and his sovereignty, his authority. Another point is God is impotent before the sinner's will in the man-centered approach. But in the God-centered approach, God is able to empower the sinner's will. And uh, the God-centered approach, the persons of the Trinity have three different have different goals in accomplishing and applying salvation. But in God-centered, the persons of the Trinity work in harmony. Salvation is accomplished for and applied to the same people. And finally, in the God-centered approach, God is the king who saves you. And the man-centered, God is the friend who just helps you. There's a big difference there. All right, you are listening to SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more after the break. This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week. If you'd like to learn how you can support this unique program that is helping men understand the truth about Jesus through God's Word and how to impact their lives and the lives of others, then go to www.swatradio.com. Then click on the donate link to help SWAT Radio pass on the truth for the next generation. SWAT Radio is brought to you in part by Ace Door and Window Service, Inc. Ace Door and Window Service, Inc. is a full-service sales door and window installation company. Both of the owners are licensed contractors and are involved in the daily operations of the company. All of their trucks are company-owned and fully equipped. Their mission is to provide Jacksonville and the surrounding area with door and window replacement services. To learn more, call 904-701-3667. That's 904-701-DOOR. Or online at www.acedoor.com. David Crowder with All My Hope. Uh, Welcome back to SWAT Radio. If you are just joining us, we are looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34 uh, this week. And that's what we looked at today, obviously. If you have any questions or would like to join the discussion, please call us at 1-844-777-SWAT. That's 1-844-777-7928. Or you can email your questions to ask at SWATradio.com. That's ask, A-S-K, at SWATradio.com. So Taylor, what do you what what did you think about when I was saying that about the view of God and a man-centered approach to sharing the gospel versus uh, a God-centered approach to sharing the gospel? Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, because you you brought it up and I hadn't really thought about it uh, too much, but you know, God and who He is uh, is not really thought of a bunch when you're in church and when are the way that it's presented, I should say like mm-hmm. that he is the creator of all things, the creator of uh, maker of heaven and earth, like what that means for us being his creation. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's not something that's really thought about, right? Like you have a duty to your creator um, and you're in rebellion. If you're not a Christian to him, 
and what that means. Like usually it's, you know, like you said, Jesus loves you and uh, you can feel great and good and wonderful if you become a Christian. Right. Yeah. Which I'm not saying that that's not true. Like you're, that you're not going to feel, um, you know, God's love, but I'm, I am saying that there's more to your standing outside of Christ than just, Oh, you're going to feel empty that you're you know, in mortal danger, right? Because of how you've rebelled against your creator. And that's not something that's focused on. And I think for a lot of people who aren't Christians, it's like, well, what do I need God for if you don't know? Well, yeah. You know? And, well, and, and when you go down the highway and you see a billboard that says, God's not mad at you, he loves you. Oh, yeah, right. That's not where Paul started. Yeah. And he's in the chief religious center of the world. And he, he goes, listen, the first thing he says is the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, the God of the universe, the creator, reigns over it, and it says he doesn't live in temples. In other words, all this stuff you built, that does nothing for him. Mm-hmm. And so when you think, I talk about the view of God in a God-centered approach versus a man-centered approach, but even in our humanity, when you're looking at a lot of the man-centered approaches in the world today to sharing the gospel, uh, those approaches see man as having the ability to choose good. And that's mm-hmm. reinforced by Disney and everybody else. You just got to follow your heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yet God in his word says, no, we're fallen. We will not come to God by our own willpower. In fact, we can't. Nobody does good, Paul says in Romans 3. And so, no, not one. And so, uh, in the view of humanity of a man-centered approach, like a lot of religions, every other religion in the world is man-centered, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's we, they seek truth. Their view of man is, we're all seeking truth, but we like the facts. That's what they tried to deal with from an in, in, intelligentsia standpoint. But from a God-centered approach, our minds are at war with God. We don't seek God. And that's a very different approach than just not having the facts, right? Yeah, and if, and if you say, you know, Jesus, or God's not mad at you, Jesus loves you, or something like that, and you start there without saying, hey, look, this is where you are in relation to God, but he loves you and he's done this for you so that you can come back in relation. When you start with Jesus loves you, there is the potential, especially if you just see it on the billboard, to think, oh, I'm good just with what I'm doing. Exactly. Or you devalue the love mm. because somebody tries to give you a cure. They're trying to get you to go take chemo and you don't even think you got cancer. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to go do that? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to go do that. And so, you know, when you think of humanity, uh, the view of humanity from a man centered perspective is that we just need love and help and friendship. But from a biblical standpoint, from a God centered, we need a new nature, a new mind, a new, we need to be, completely rebuilt and regenerated. Uh, The view of humanity of a man-centered approach is that man makes mistakes. He's imperfect. He just needs forgiveness. But from a God-centered biblical approach, man rebels against God. He has a sinful nature, and we need to be reconciled with our creator. And that's what Paul is laying out for them. Um, In the man-centered approach, humans are just sick and ignorant. Mm. And that's what the whole Greek culture was about. Education. We can help people. That's what the Stoics believed, right? But the biblical approach and what Paul said is humanity's dead and lost. 
you're going to die and go to judgment if you don't know the man, he said, who has been resurrected. And we can rest assured Paul preached the cross to him. And, you know, when you think about um, the, the, the response to Jesus from a man-centered repro- approach, sinners have the key in their hand. But from a God-centered, God has the key in his hand. He offers it to you. You, you don't have any self-directed will to take that key apart from him offering it to you. Mm-hmm. you. You don't take it from God. He offers it to you. You know, I think it was R.C. Sproul who said, you know, we as sinners, Paul says we're dead in our trespasses. We are dead on the ocean floor. God breathes life into us. And we're then able to respond by grabbing the life preserver of Jesus. But he breathes life into us first. And so um, those are just two different ways of looking at the the gospel. One is God-centered. One is man-centered. And Paul takes a very God-centered approach. We're going to get more into it tomorrow. I'll be in uh, tomorrow and, and, um, and, and going through each verse, what he says. But Paul is declaring the bigness and the truth about our God, Yahweh, People, our God has a name and is Yahweh. And far too many of us don't talk to him by our name. We just refer to him as God. And there's lots of people in the world referred to as God. Go to India, there's three million of them. But there's one Yahweh, and he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul declares that Yahweh created the world. He reigns over the world. And he resides outside of all of our efforts. That's what verse 24 said. He doesn't dwell in our temples. He's outside of our efforts. And so um, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. I mean, I, I didn't hear that kind of language, Taylor, growing up. As much as I heard things from the Bible, I, I, I wasn't taught those kind of things. And I think... Uh, and believe truly in today's world, we need a bigger gospel message for people bigger than just God loves you, mm-hmm. that Jesus loves you. Uh, we've made love the chief attribute of God and love and holiness are equally as important and his love and, and judgment. If, if he really loves us, then he's going to judge the evil in our world. Otherwise, is he really loving at all mm-hmm. to allow it go unchecked? You know? Yeah, and you know, you were talking about uh kind of the the underpinnings of the that way of thinking um you know, a man-centered approach like you were talking about. The underpinnings of that is that you know, man is ignorant um and just needs to be educated in order to reach, you know, a higher uh level of consciousness or this or that. And that is something that you hear quite a lot in our day and age in the world. You know, it's, that's something that you know, obviously was thought back then, but you're hearing that a lot now. And you're also seeing a lot of Christians accept that presupposition into their way of viewing things. And uh, it's sad because it's harmful. It's detrimental because of where that leads practically in the world. And so (laughs) uh, someone just knocked on the door. Uh, But, yeah, so I think that we as Christians need to uh, differentiate between that and, you know, what the gospel says. Well, I want to give people real quick. We got two minutes, I think, left. Um, in this passage, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. 
Paul follows a gospel outline that I've shared with people for many, many years. And it breaks down into four main ideas. God's purpose, our problem, God's provision, our response. Anytime we share the gospel, we can remember that outline. We need to learn to write this in our own words. I'm going to give some verses tomorrow, but here it is. God created us uh, for an intimate, dependent relationship and partnership with him where we honor him. Throughout the Old Testament, he refers to his people who carry his name. So he wanted us to represent him to the world around us and to glorify him by putting him on display wherever we go. We trust in him. We depend on him. But our problem, part two, is we choose to be self-led and self-righteous, and we ignore his rightful place of leadership in our life. Now, his punishment for that is, uh, because we rebel, is death and judgment. Not just physical death here, but eternal separation from him when we go beyond this place. And the third part, God's provision, is because of his love, God sent his son Jesus as our rescuer. You know, Jesus was born to a virgin, so he didn't carry the sin nature gene. He didn't inherit that. He was placed in Mary's womb as a human, and he said, I'm going to die on the cross. Three days later, I'm going to rise again, and he did. And then the fourth element, our response, is God calls us to turn from trusting in ourselves or anything else to relying totally on Jesus as a living rescuer who died on a cross for our sin and to place our faith in him and trust him as Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. If you've never embraced that, you can write Doug at SWATradio.com. I'm happy to to, uh, respond to that. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk about it again, and you'll hear it again tomorrow on SWAT Radio. All right, you have been listening to SWAT Radio. Thank you for tuning in. Join us weekdays at 3 o'clock for more. We will see you then. Have a nice day. If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT radio is strengthening spiritual